Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blumson. China has spent hundreds of billions of dollars financing infrastructure projects through its Belt and Road Initiative. Critics say the BRI, as it is known, has imposed ruinous debts on some countries from Southeast Asia to Africa. And China's leader, Xi Jinping, is now emphasising a more sustainable and transparent approach. Andreas Parlight discusses the global impact of the scheme for China and those taking part with James King and Lucy Hornby. James, can you give us an overview of the Belt and Road Initiative? What's China's strategic aim with these investments? Sure. The Belt and Road Initiative started off back in 2013 when Xi Jinping, China's president, went to Kazakhstan. And when he was there, he announced what he then called the New Silk Road. And since then, really, the flesh has been put on the bones of this absolutely enormous international initiative. It now covers more than 80 countries around the world. And what it really boils down to is contracts for Chinese companies, normally big state-owned companies, building essential pieces of infrastructure, such as railways, roads, bridges, ports, etc. And there are lots of different estimates as to how much the Belt and Road Initiative has cost so far and how much financing has been put behind it by the Chinese government. But I would say estimates in the region of about one trillion US dollars are about as good as we're going to get right now. These estimates really do vary. Some of them are a lot less than that, and some of the recent ones I've looked at are significantly more. But it is safe to say that China's footprint around the world in terms of building infrastructure has grown exponentially in the last five years. And also its political clout, because as it goes into a country and builds an essential piece of infrastructure, that country becomes indebted to it. And it has become quite controversial in several cases. There has been a lot of media coverage about particular cases around the world that have attracted controversy. Such as, can you cite some examples where it's proved particularly controversial? Sure. There are several very live controversies. One regards some of the Malaysian projects. There is in Malaysia a project called the East Coast Rail Link. And initially, under the previous government, this was approved. But since Mahathir Mohamed, the current prime minister of Malaysia, took over, he has whittled down the cost of the East Coast Rail Link to what is currently 10.7 billion US dollars. And that is down by a third compared to the original cost that was mooted under the previous prime minister, Najib Razak. A lot of people have looked at that and said, well, the reduction in cost shows the amount of water, to use other people's terminology, that was in the original project. Other controversial projects have been ones in Sri Lanka, where the president, Siri Senna, when he came into power in 2015, launched a series of reviews over projects that were agreed by his predecessor. And again, he's renegotiated the financial terms down with several Chinese state-owned enterprises. I think the most recent controversy took place in the Maldives, which is a country that has GDP of about 4.9 billion US dollars. And they signed to build a bridge between the islands of this island nation that, according to advisors to the current president, 
was going to cost three billion U.S. dollars. So that's three billion compared to a national GDP of 4.9 billion. Of course, that attracted a huge amount of controversy, and the current Maldivian government is reviewing all of these projects. So those are just three countries, but you really could go on. There are many countries in Europe where a lot of attention has been focused on, and in Latin America as well. So China has left a trail of controversial infrastructure projects all over the world under this so-called Belt and Road Initiative. And is Beijing open about the criteria it uses in deciding who to lend to and why? No, it's very difficult to get key details of the projects that have been undertaken. I mean, for instance, to try to understand the rate of interest that has been applied to Chinese loans. And the loans that are generally used to build Belt and Road infrastructure are extended by the big Chinese policy banks. These are the China Development Bank and the Export-Import Bank of China. All of the financing arrangements are kept secret or confidential. Only in rare cases do they actually come to light. In other cases, you know, it's difficult to find out simple details like the project value. It's difficult to find out how much the Chinese contractors are being paid, etc. So this is why people like Mahathir Mohamed of Malaysia have called the Belt and Road Initiative a new version of colonialism. And there have been several other statements of that type made about the BRI. Is there any truth to accusations that the initiative is a cover for a bid by China to control strategic assets around the world? It's very difficult to say because the way in which China engages with this country is rather typical of China. In other words, it engages at a very high governmental level, and often the projects are agreed at that level. Only later is a feasibility study done. And so you could say that the problem with the Belt and Road Initiative is simply that the recipient governments are too eager to take delivery of whatever type of infrastructure the Chinese are promising to build, and they don't drill down too much into the details of it. It's very difficult to assign intent to what the Chinese are doing in these countries. And it also has to be said that these projects have to be agreed to by the recipient government. It's not a case that China is forcing these governments to take the infrastructure projects that are being offered. So, you know, a lot of people talk about China building debt traps for the rest of the world. It's rather a tough call to make, in my view, as to the amount of intent behind it on the Chinese side. Lucy, what does China say in response to these criticisms? Well, as James says, the first statement is usually that these other governments have certainly agreed to these projects. And it also ties into China's view of why China's economic boom has been so successful. Outsiders might point to foreign investment or the adoption of free market pricing. But the Chinese explanation is that they built lots of infrastructure. They built roads and ports to connect themselves to external markets. And so I think there's not a lot of self-reflection as to why that might not be working with other countries. The assumption is that it will, and that Westerners, for the most part, are exhibiting sour grapes when they come out to criticise this project. Do we know how much has been lent and whether any of this debt has been renegotiated or even forgiven? Well, there's a brand new discipline in trying to dissect Belt and Road projects. The number one trillion has been bandied about, one trillion US dollars, as James said. 
But when you break it down, you have to strip out some of the hype and strip out projects that may never have happened. You still get numbers like 140 billion in Africa, about a similar amount in Latin America. And we've seen studies very recently that some of these mega projects have been renegotiated. In my experience, the ones that are most likely to be renegotiated are the really big ones that the country has run into problems with payment. We've seen different examples. In Venezuela, the terms of the payment were lengthened, but that didn't solve the underlying problem, which was that the money had gone into pet projects of the Chavez and Maduro governments. In Argentina, a project was renegotiated in return for the right to build a dam that the Argentine public was very opposed to. In Angola and other countries, it's been renegotiated just to lengthen out the terms. So it seems to vary very much on the profile of the debt and the country. Some interest-free loans, uh, soft loans that were given to very poor countries have been forgiven, but that's a very, very small proportion in the tens of millions of dollars compared to a $1 trillion program. We recently saw plans for transparency within the initiative. What does that look like? What do you think about it? Well, I think that answers two concerns. Within China, there are certain people who have watched these projects progress with a great deal of dismay. They don't necessarily feel that they're well-grounded and they worry what the implications will be, both for China fiscally and for China's reputation overseas. So these people have recently joined forces with some European financial centers, notably London and Switzerland, which in turn are hoping to finance some of these projects if they can satisfy themselves to the soundness of them. So in this case, I think the optimist would see better standards might be applied in future. The cynic would see that China, having funded a lot of poor projects, now is looking for somebody else to help pay the bill. Okay, finally, can I ask you both what your conclusion is about the future of this initiative? Will it prove a strategic success for China in the long run? Let's start with Lucy. I think historians 300 years from now might look at this a bit like you look at the beginning of the British Empire or the Dutch East Indies Company, that projects were undertaken without any particular grand scheme. Some made sense, some didn't. And suddenly the originating country found itself with sway in all sorts of places that it had never intended to have. I'm not saying that China will colonize these countries per se, but I think it's undeniable that it's gaining a lot of geopolitical capital out of this program. In the long term, though, you do have to wonder what the overall effect on China will be. To a large extent, they're exporting their own overcapacity. And if the countries that they're exporting them to don't have an organic demand for it either, at the end of the day, somebody has to pay the bill. James? Yes, actually, unsurprisingly, I agree with Lucy. I think China is gaining a lot of geopolitical capital around the world through the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, Of course, there's a lot of criticism of individual projects. But what tends to happen is that the projects get reviewed or revised, but the underlying project generally still remains on the books and generally still goes ahead. I think the interesting point of comparison is with the United States, which seems to be unable to compete with the Belt and Road Initiative. There was a very small, rather half-hearted move by the U.S. government last year to announce that it would start financing infrastructure building around the world, but it doesn't seem to be grabbing the headlines anyway. So I think although there is a huge amount of controversy with regard to the BRI, 
in the end, it is China that is amassing geopolitical capital around the world of a very durable type. I mean, if you own somebody's port, then you have a lot of political capital with that country. That was Andreas Parlite talking to James King in Hong Kong and Lucy Hornby in Beijing. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, you can find our latest subscription offers at ft.com slash offer. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.